Father, we are so grateful for the many gifts that you give to us. And, and one of those great gifts, God, is that you want us to be with you. Even as we think about what Emmanuel means this Christmas season, God with us. God, we praise you for that gift. And now I pray that as we open up your word, that you would help us to get an even deeper picture of what it means for us to enter into your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How far would you go if you had to search for God? I asked kind of a similar question last Sunday. Uh, last Sunday the question went like this. If, if God said to you, I want each of you to go on a, on a journey, climb the highest mountain in the Himalayas, and there I will meet with you, what would be your response? Or I thought, it, you know, it's kind of ridiculous to think of this, but what if God said, if you want to meet with me, Wake up every morning at 3 o'clock and jump on one leg for a minute. Would you do it? Would you set your alarm every night and do it? Now, that's not how God has asked us to meet with him. But the question remains, if God said, in order to meet with me, you must do blank, would you do it? There's some yeses out there. Good. You know, for me, this idea of knowing the God of the universe is so incredibly important that I would like to think that, yes, God, I would do whatever it is that you have said that you want me to do in order for me to meet with you. Now, praise the Lord, in, in Christianity, it's, the truth is that God has come down to us. The truth, the truth is that God invites us into his presence, and we are to be people then that seek him, the people that respond to his invitation. But how is it that we do that? Well, we're going to look at a psalm today that talks about meeting with God. We're finishing up this year's psalm series. Every year I do a psalm series to remind us to worship God, wherever we're coming from, to worship God. And we're looking at Psalm 84 today. And according to most commentators, Psalm 84 is a song of pilgrimage. You see, in the Old Testament, worshipers of God were commanded to make a pilgrimage Three times a year. In Deuteronomy 16.16, 16, it says, Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose. And we know that that place that he chose was Jerusalem. And we know that there were three annual feasts that, that God asked all the men of Israel to go to. And for some of these men, that meant making quite a long journey a journey that was many miles and perhaps even several days for them to take. And you can imagine that some of the men might have started to think to themselves, I'm not sure I really want to do that right now. You know, you could think, I don't know if I want to leave my family back home, or it's all those miles, and you know what, there's things that I need to take care of at the house. You can imagine that it could have been a bit of a burden to some of those men to make that trip. But these weren't just any old journeys. These were journeys with a purpose, with a goal in mind, the goal of meeting with God. And as such, those journeys held a special place in the hearts of the ancient Israelites. Now, what I want to do today as we look at Psalm 84 is really two things. One, I want to help you understand what it would have meant to an ancient Israelite in their context as they were commanded to go to these feasts three times a year. But then I also want to apply it to us because we don't live in that old covenant anymore. The, the application for us is not going to be to get on a plane to to fly to Israel and, and go to one of these feasts. The application for us is something different. 
But first we have to understand what it meant in its context. And by the way, that's just a general rule of thumb for reading the Bible. You ask yourself two questions. What did it mean for the original readers? And what does it mean for me right now? Okay, so we're going to read Psalm 84. For the director of music, according to Gittith, of the sons of Korah, a psalm. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young. A place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Selah. That, that word Selah, by the way, just some sort of interlude, whether for meditation or for musical instruments. Then verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. I think there's a Selah there too. Yes, Selah. Look upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Okay, as you can clearly see from verses 1 and 2, this psalmist had great joy in his heart as he thought about going to meet with God. This psalm is a psalm of longing to meet with God, and that's a common refrain in the psalms. As you read through the book of the psalms, you see this a lot. For example, Psalm 42.2 says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with him? Psalm 27.4 says, One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Or in our psalm, in verse 2, My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. You see that desire there. And by the way, the word courts here is not talking about a court of law. It's talking about the courtyard of the temple or the tabernacle, that place surrounding the temple. But the idea here is that the psalmist longed to be near to God, even as he thought about the sparrows or the the birds that got to nest there or or the priests who lived there and got got to dwell there and do their duties there. He, He looked with longing on being able to be near to God. And as the psalmist considered the wonderful blessings of being near to God, then his heart turned to this idea of pilgrimage, of making a journey there to meet with God. That's what happens in verses 5 through 8. And I want to reread for you verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. The second part of verse 5, it kind of stumps the translators there. Because what it literally says there is it says they have highways in their hearts. It's an interesting phrase. Highways in their hearts. But what in the world does that mean? Well, again, talking about this idea of pilgrimage, yes, it was a physical journey. And like I said, for some people it meant many miles and several days and probably lots of planning. But even more so than being a physical journey, it was a spiritual journey. And in their hearts they were going to meet with God. So when I see that phrase, highway in their hearts, that's what I picture. It's these people who long to go into the presence of God. 
And as such, even the journey was pleasant, the physical journey that they had to take. And you can imagine the landscape of Israel. Sometimes it was a pretty arid place, a, a, a place of desert. But it says here uh, in verse 6, as they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. And on that journey, you know, you might expect that people would say on a physical journey, sometimes you decrease in strength. The further you go, the more tired you get. But it doesn't say that about them here. It says in verse 7, they go from strength to strength till each appears before God. So as they got nearer and nearer to him, something was strengthened inside of them as they thought about meeting with God. So even though the journey was difficult, there was something worthwhile to them, very worthwhile, about going to be near to God. And then as we move on to verses 9 through 12, we see more of the blessings of being in the presence of God. Verse 9 probably has to do with praying for the king, uh, praying for God's blessings on the king and therefore the nation. And then verse, verse 10 is this beautifully poetic verse about the, the wonder of being in the presence of God. One day there is better than a thousand anywhere else. Now, that one's interesting to me because... We can think of a lot of places on earth that we would like to go, right? Does anybody have like a, a dream vacation in mind that you would, you would just love to go? Yes, okay, one person. Peter John, may it uh, hopefully one day you get to go. Um, where is it that you would just love to go? Is it Disney World? Are there any of you that would just love to go to Disney World and spend a thousand days there maybe? Oh boy, that sounds tiring <laughs> to me. <laughs> maybe five. Um, or, or maybe it's Hawaii for you. That, that sounds a little bit more like it to me. Um, but as, as we think about these places that we would just love to go to, well, the psalmist here says better is one day in your courts, Lord, than a thousand anywhere else. And, and what he's really talking about there is the, the, the beauty and the peace and the rest of being with God. And as we're going to see later in the application time, for us, it's not so much about the physical location of where we are, it's about what's going on in our hearts. But what the psalmist was saying here is, I love being in God's presence, and it's better to be there for a day than a thousand days anywhere else. And then in verse 11, the psalmist tells us more of the blessings of God. God shines on us and protects us. He bestows favor on us and honor. And it says, no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. And the idea here is that God will take care of our needs as we seek him. And, and that's something that's still true for us too. God will take care of our needs as we seek him. It reminds me actually of a couple verses from Jesus. Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, But seek first his, God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. In that passage, Jesus is telling the people not to worry about food and clothes, but says, Seek God his kingdom and his righteousness, and God will take care of you. Jesus also said in Matthew 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And then a few verses later, he says, How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who, who ask him? That's our Father's desire, is to take care of our needs as we meet with him, as we live in his presence. Then getting back to our psalm, verse 12, it ends, O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. That's the third time we've seen the word blessed in this psalm. The word speaks of the happiness of those who are watched over by God. In verse 4, 
Those who were near to God were blessed. In verse 5, those who sought God were blessed. And in verse 12, those who trusted in God were blessed. God will take care of our needs and will give us joy as we seek Him. That's the blessing of a relationship with God. So for the psalmist, going to meet with God was a joy. And one of the things I love about this psalm is that we know that that's what happened as these people went to these feasts. They met with God. And I was thinking, what a tragedy it would be if we looked for God and didn't find Him. And when we think about that, all over our world, there are people who seek their God but do not find Him because He doesn't exist. Now what's the deal? I was thinking about that. Earlier I quoted the verse from Jesus where he said, Seek and you will find. Yet there's all sorts of people in this world who are seeking something and not finding it. What's the deal? Well the deal is we have to seek God according to his terms. And and I think that's what Psalm 84 is about. It wasn't a man-made idea for these people to go to Jerusalem for these feasts and to worship God. That's what God told them to do. So as these pilgrims were on their way, they were doing exactly what it was that God had asked them to do in worship of him. There were other things that God asked them to do as well. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You think of all the list of laws in the Old Testament. There were all those things. But what we see, the picture in Psalm 84, is that the worshipers were worshiping God according to his ways. And that's where the blessing comes. When we seek God according to how he has asked us to. Okay, so that's what Psalm 84 meant to an ancient Israelite. What about us? How do we apply this psalm to our lives? Like I said, should, should we uh, get on the next flight to Jerusalem and meet at the temple? Well, might, might have a hard time finding it. Um, what we should apply from Psalm 84 is this idea of meeting with God. Meeting with God. And in order to show you how we should meet with God now, I want to point out to you a couple of of important words from Psalm 84. The first one is dwelling place in verse 1. And then the second one is the word house. We see that in verse 4 as well as verse 10. The phrase dwelling place comes from a Hebrew word that's often translated as tabernacle. It, it, is the, it describes the physical structure, which is also called the tent of meeting. You remember that? God came down to Moses and said, I want for you to build me a tabernacle. And he, he told Moses exactly how to build it. You can read through the second half of Exodus and, and see all that God prescribed there. It was a tent that God said, I will meet with you there. And and it's interesting, I I just did a quick look through Exodus, the the second half of it, and I found at least four places in there where God said, I will meet with you. And and think about what that was. This was God's idea. It wasn't like Moses came up with this idea, hey, God, I'm going to build this structure and put this ark here and this table here, and, and then you'll meet with us, right? It was God who said this. Do it this way, and I will meet with you there. That's what God told them. Okay, and then the other word I mentioned is the word house in Psalm 84. That was a word that was often used to describe God's temple. Now, the temple was the more permanent structure that replaced the tabernacle. 
Remember that King David planned this temple and, and amassed huge quantities of gold and silver and bronze and all these things for the building of the temple. And then his son, King Solomon, built the temple. And the idea was the same there as in the tabernacle, that that would be the place where God would meet with his people. So you can see for an ancient Israelite how important both the, the tabernacle and the temple were for them in their worship. That was the place where they met with God. But even still, there was something they looked forward to. Something that had not yet been fulfilled in that temple. King Solomon alluded to that in 1 Kings 8. After he built and then was dedicating the temple, he said, But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. But yet, two verses later, we see that God said, My name shall be there. Now, in one sense, God didn't live in the temple. It's not like God got a divine U-Haul, packed up all his stuff, and then moved into the temple to live there. That's not the way that we should understand the temple. But on the other hand, God did meet with his people there. Now, as you may be very well aware, the temple didn't turn out to be a permanent structure. It was the place where God met with his people, but it was destroyed a couple times, actually. God didn't plan for it to be permanent. He had a better idea in mind. See, when Jesus came to earth, it says of him in John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That word made his dwelling literally means lived in a tent. I've heard some people translate John 1.14 to say that Jesus tabernacled among us. In a very real way, Jesus replaced the tabernacle and the temple as the place where we meet with God. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He was the place to meet with God. Uh, and it wasn't just a tabernacle language. He also called himself the temple. In John 2.19, he said, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. And two verses later, it says the temple he had spoken of was his body. So the, the, the spiritual truth, and it's an amazing one, is that Jesus became the, the place, physically speaking, where people met with God. But then something happened that kind of changed things. Jesus died. Now don't worry. He, he rose again three days later. You know that part of the story. I hope you know that part of the story. But then he ascended into heaven. So what does that mean about our temple now, our place of meeting with God? Well, the truth of the New Testament is amazing once again here. In John 14:23, Jesus said, "If anyone, this is the, the night before he was crucified, by the way, so he's talking to his disciples. He said, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. See that language of house again? We saw it in Psalm 84. Uh, what does it say in Better, let's see. I'm going to read verse 4, I think. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. Why were they blessed? Because they were near to God. And what does, God, what does Jesus say in John 14, 23? We will come to him and make our home with him. A few verses earlier, Jesus told his followers that he would give the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth to them, to, uh, to live with them. It's the same word for home. So it's spelled out very clearly in 1 Corinthians in a couple of places. 3.16 says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? 
And then 1 Corinthians 6.19, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? So let me summarize these awesome truths as we look at this temple language throughout the Bible. The truth is that instead of our worship being centralized around a physical location like a temple or even a church building now, our worship is centralized around God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and we are the temple. It's an amazing truth. So worship is not is not to happen merely in a physical location. Worship is to happen in our hearts. That is the place that we are to meet with God. Jesus addressed this issue when he talked with the Samaritan woman at the well. The Samaritans and the Jews had a disagreement about the physical place of worship. The Samaritans said it's on this mountain. The Jews said it's in Jerusalem. And the Samaritan woman asked Jesus, which one is it? Now, Jesus could have settled that argument because there was actually a right answer to it. But instead, listen to what Jesus said in John 4. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Our worship is to come from our hearts. And it says in there the Father is actually seeking these kinds of worshipers. Like the eyes of the Lord are ranging throughout the earth to see who will worship God in this way, in spirit and in truth, from our hearts. So again, the truth of the gospel message is that that Jesus came down to us to forgive us of our sins and to invite us into an eternity-long relationship with him so that we could continually meet with him and be with him. But what that means then, and this is so important that we have to get this part right, it means that we need to seek God according to his ways and not our ways. We don't get to make our own pathway to God. Jesus is the way. And what we need to do is to receive him. That's the first step. I hope you all know that again. The first step is to receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. To give our lives to him. To say, I'm not going to create my own path. I'm not going to attempt to do that. I accept what you have revealed, God. But that's just the beginning then. And what's supposed to happen then is that we are to become lifelong worshipers where we continually seek God through Jesus. So, in that sense, you can look at our lives as a journey of worshiping God. And I want to tie it back into Psalm 84 now. Do you see how this works? Psalm 84 was a a journey. talked about a physical journey of going to meet with God. And for us now, it's not about a physical journey. It's about a spiritual journey. And it's about a journey that we are to be continually taking where we are to meet with God. Um... So what I want to do is I want to now compare our spiritual journey to a road trip. Uh, Many of you have probably heard the song Life is a Highway. If you have uh, kids who like the movie Cars, you've probably heard the song about 50 times, which is, that's the boat that I'm in. So life is a highway. Uh, And and the point of that song is that, you know, uh, there's two ways to look at a road trip. One way to look at a road trip is to look at it begrudgingly, as something to endure. Say, okay, I want to get to point B, but I've got, you know, 1,312 miles to get there, and boy, I can't wait until this trip is over so I can finally get to where I'm going to go. The other way, the better way probably to look at a road trip is to look at it as something that you enjoy along the way. Now, for some of you, maybe that means you stop at 
interesting sights along the way. Or you take the scenic way every once in a while. Or, or you see the Laura Ingalls Wilder Historic Museum. Oh, I've never been there. Let's stop at that. Or for me, it's food. I, I took a road trip with some pastor friends a couple of years ago, and I was the one who was driving. I rented the car, and I, I had to be the driver. And I said, I'm the driver. At least once on this trip, we are going, I don't care when, I don't care where, we are going to stop at a Taco Bell. And eat, I'm not, you don't have to eat there if you don't want to, but I'm going to eat at Taco Bell at least once. And you know what happened? We stopped at a Taco Bell, and everybody enjoyed it. That's what usually happens at Taco Bell, by the way, just uh, for you snobs who don't think you'd like it. Uh, it's a good place. But for me, road trips are so much more fun when they include food. And, you know, there, there's things that we get excited about along the way. Spiritually speaking, that's what our lives to be. I hope that you realize that the Christian life is not simply about a destination. Yes, we want to get to heaven. I hope I see every single one of you there. But it's not just about getting there. It's about meeting with God, living with Him, doing life with Him as we go along the way. So our job as worshipers along the way is to continually seek God and to meet with Him. Now I realize for some of you, your journey might be difficult right now. But even so, I want to urge you to worship God along the way. I also realize that some of you may not feel at all like verse 2 in Psalm 84. The psalmist there wrote, My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. Maybe you're at a place right now where you're saying, You know, no, that's not where I'm at. My heart is not yearning for God. So what do we do if we find ourselves in a place where we don't want to worship God? Well, here's one answer I've heard. Maybe you don't want to worship God right now, but you want to want it. Now, as an engineer, that phrase doesn't really make sense to me. You, if you don't want it, then you don't want to want it. But on the other hand, I, I totally get what it's saying, that, that sometimes our emotions aren't telling us, aren't urging us to worship God, but we know in our mind that we are supposed to do that. And sometimes what we just need to do is to say, you know what, I'm going to do it anyways. I'm going to worship God anyways. And think about the, uh, the ancient Israelite who knew it was time for one of those three feasts, and he didn't want to go on a journey. Well, what if in faith he said, okay, God has asked me to do this, so I'm going to do it, and he started off on that journey. His heart might not have been in it, but somewhere along the way, I, I picture this, this pilgrim having great joy in the journey, that God gave him that joy as he obeyed. So maybe your worship right now is not this deep, heartfelt, oh boy, I'm rejoicing, but maybe it's this, okay, God, I know that you're worthy of worship even now. And maybe in doing that, God will give you that joy that you long for. God is worthy of worship and you will be blessed in the process of worshiping him. Our job then is to continue to seek him. And actually, it's even better than us just seeking him because God invites us. I want to read for you a verse about God's invitation. Hebrews 10, 19-22 Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter that most holy place, the most holy place, by the way, was the central part of the temple where the real meeting with God happened. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Through the blood of Jesus, we can meet with God. 
That's what God wants for us. He has opened up the way. He has invited us into his presence so that we can continually live there and dwell there with him. God seeks people who will worship him that way. But the choice is ours. Will we set our hearts on worshiping God like this? Will we be people who draw near to him? I think too often we set our sights too low in life. We set our sights on things that we think will satisfy us. But what I want to urge you to do is to set your sights on God and and live the life that he has called you to live and continually meet with him in that life. Let's be reminded the best place for us to be in life is in the center of God's will. And that means worshiping him and praising him. Okay, so practically speaking, how do we do that? How do we worship God in our daily life? Well, I started thinking of a list of ways that we could worship God. I started jotting them down, and I, I realized as, as I was making this list, I had about six of them. And I looked at those six things on my list, and I realized those are the six core values of Cornerstone Church. So just very quickly, I just want to remind you what those six core values are, six ways that we can enter into God's presence. The first is worship, by praising God, setting our eyes on him. The second is prayer. And this one should be obvious, I hope. In prayer, we seek God. We seek to meet with him. We talk to him. We understand that he listens and answers our prayers. Third is through God's word. that He has revealed to us how we can walk with him, how we can meet with him, how we can worship him. The fourth is fellowship. And I like this one because we come from all sorts of different places, spiritually speaking, as we enter into this room. But as we gather together, I think something happens. We encourage each other. I was, I was singing these songs earlier and just being very encouraged by the fact that there are other people singing these songs. And, and something that Brian said in an adult Sunday school class, think of the millions of people across our country that are worshiping God right now. There's encouragement in that. So let's be an active part of the fellowship of believers as a reminder for us to keep on meeting with God. Other ways that we can meet with God, this one might seem a little bit strange, but evangelism, telling other people about God, is a great way for us to spend time in the presence of God. And then the last one, service. Serving God is a great way to worship Him and to spend time with Him. Serving God, serving somebody else, taking your eyes off of yourself and onto somebody else and, and, and serving God. But overall, the key is that we should seek God in all of our ways. Proverbs 3.6 says, In all your ways acknowledge him. And that, that literally means to know him. To know God in all your ways. Whatever it is that you are doing, we are to know God, to walk with him, to love him, to carry our cross daily and to follow him in all our ways to know him. So our lives are to be taken up with worshiping God. And God will give us an abundant life, a blessed life, as we seek him. Now I want to tell just a a quick story here about how this happened for me personally this week. On Thursday, I had set aside a time where I was going to meet with God. I I blocked it off in my schedule, and I was going to spend a couple hours just meeting with God. I hadn't exactly yet planned out what I was going to do in it, but I knew when I was going to do it. And right as I was about to enter into that time, I got a phone call from the elevator repairman. Our elevator wasn't working. And the elevator repairman said, I'm in town and I want to fix the elevator now. And I'm like, okay. Uh, 
God, I was going to meet with you, but now I've got to go and let the repairman in the building. And, and I was kind of hoping I could just let him in and then he could do his work and I could go and meet with God. But I realized pretty quickly that that wasn't going to be the way it was going to go. This, this repairman needed me to open up doors for him and show him where things are. And, and I realized fairly quickly that it wasn't going to be a quick job either. And, and I was kind of frustrated thinking, God, I was going to meet with you and now I have to open doors for this guy. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to meet with God as I do this. And I said, okay, God, this is my time set aside to meet with you. I'm going to, I'm going to try to do this job that I'm doing now in your presence. And that was really a wonderful... It, it really turned the time around for me. And, and it was a... I felt like a very spiritual experience for me. And it, it helped me just have the right attitude as I was doing it. It helped me to view that guy as a real human being and, I was able to have a spiritual conversation with that guy. Um, I, I felt like a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. Psalm 84.10 uh, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. And not that I'm calling this building the house of God, but, but I felt like a doorkeeper. I felt like it was my job to open doors, yet I wanted to do that for the Lord. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. May we carry around that attitude with us of whatever we're doing, we're doing it for the Lord, knowing that he is with us. Now I'd be lying if I said that I carried that attitude with me you know, every minute of the rest of my week since then. You know, there's times that I look back at my week and like, boy, I was doing that for myself or in my own power. But the goal is that we would continually seek the Lord and spend time in his presence. And, and isn't it wonderful to know that that's what God wants for us? And not only does he want us to be in his presence, he invites us into his presence. He's revealed himself to us so that we can know him and do life with him. It is a great privilege to be able to meet with God. So shouldn't we seek him? God's part is to come down to us and to draw us to himself. Our part is to respond to him by faith by continually seeking him and meeting with him. And again, I realize your journey might be difficult now, but keep going. Wherever you're at, keep going. Keep seeking after God. There are blessings upon blessings for those who seek him. Eventually, it'll be heaven. And it'll be perfection. And there is no temple there because God is the temple. And we will get to see him face to face. And we will forever spend time in his presence. But for now, we are to seek him, to continually spend time meeting with him and worshiping him. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you have made the way for us. Jesus, we praise you that you are the way that we can be forgiven and cleansed and saved and that we are saved into a relationship with you that lasts forever. And God, we know that in that relationship you want us to seek you and I pray that we would do that, that we would meet with you, that we would worship you and give you the honor and glory that you deserve. So God, wherever we're at right now, I pray that we would be reminded to meet with you, that we would have highways in our hearts longing to spend time in your presence. But God, may we not do this in our own strength. I pray that we would trust in you, that you would bring us from strength to strength, that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit, 
that we might rightly worship you and meet with you all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.